11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening. We're so glad that you're worshiping with us tonight. We're continuing in our series through the book of Hebrews. As Pastor Jeff just read, we are uh, in chapter 11. Last week we did the first few verses of chapter 11. We're going to finish it out here tonight. Um, And last week, the whole chapter, chapter 11, is about faith. Last week we talked about the object of our faith and how Christ, because of his life, death, burial, resurrection, um, he is the object of our faith. And when he is the object of our faith, then we can start talking about how to have faith. It has to be in Christ. It can't just be faith in faith. And so um, we looked at why he is worthy to be the object of that faith. And tonight we're going to take a look at examples of those who lived by faith so we can learn more about how to have that faith ourselves. In fact, sometimes Hebrews 11 is called the Hall of Faith because it mentions countless Old Testament figures talking about how they had faith and what their lives looked like. And as we look at this account in Hebrews 11, we are going to learn something about how to have faith when Christ is the object of our faith. Tonight, you won't have PowerPoint up on the screen. The first reason is because, um, like Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 tells us, uh, faith is the conviction of things not seen. So you're going to have to have faith that I prepared a sermon this week, even though I forgot to prepare a PowerPoint. So um, there's no PowerPoint because I forgot. Um, The second reason, though, God is kind of funny how he uses even our absent-mindedness and our busyness in order to do what he wants to do. As I was putting this sermon together, as I was studying it and, and putting together what we would look at and talk about, God kept leading me back to just point people to what's there. Just point people to what's there because there's so much here. In fact, this week I had finals and it would have made tons of sense to have Pastor Brooks, who also prepared this sermon, preach this evening because he preached this morning, but I wanted to preach this sermon so badly because I love Hebrews 11. So we're going to spend a lot of time looking at what the text actually says, and I'm going to make a few comments on what we can take from that, but we're going to look at just about every verse in uh, Hebrews 11, verses 6 through 40. Um, So we're going to spend a lot of time reading scripture, and um, I'm going to spend very little time talking about scripture. So if you want to open up a Bible that will will really help you here tonight, especially since you don't have a PowerPoint to look at. And tonight we will all live by faith. So um, I do want to start before I pray and we jump in here. I do want to say thank you to all the moms 
out there. We have some amazing moms in this church and in this biblical community, and I'm so thankful for each one of you. So thankful for what you do in um, your homes, in this church, in the marketplace, in your place of education. Just so thankful for each one of you. So whether you have biological children, whether you have adopted children, whether you're fostering other people's children, um, I just want to thank you for all that you do, all the sacrifices you make for uh, this church, for your kids, for our community. Um, and want to thank um, each of you too that, that even spiritually take people under your wings and are really a spiritual parent to others. Thank you so much for doing that. And thank you for doing that with my kids. Thank you for doing that with younger women in our church. Just thank you so much for that. So I wanted to take some time celebrating and thanking moms this evening as well. Would you pray with me? God, as we jump into your word, we want to uh, see it for what it is. We want to see it as truth. We want to see it as wonderful. We want to see the will of the Heavenly Father. We want to see what it looks like when your kingdom comes. God, build our faith here tonight. Help our faith to be in the right thing and not just faith in faith or faith in our own ability. Um, God, we put our trust in you tonight. We pray that we would live for and by those things that are unseen, but that we would also see that faith is very real and built on real promises and real things that you do in the world. And so we want to see exactly what you have for us tonight. I, I pray that each one would see and hear exactly what you want them to see and hear here tonight. God, thank you for your word, that it's good, that it's true, and that we have this example of those who did live for a better country, a better city, that lived for the kingdom of God. We pray that they would not just be inspirational to us tonight, but God, that they would really show us what it looks like to put our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whether you consider yourself a religious person or not, we all have faith. We all have faith in something. Whether you consider yourself an atheist, whether you consider yourself a Christ follower, a Muslim, or any other kind of faith, or even if you're an irreligious person, you have faith in something. Even our actions show where our faith is. Whether it's Netflix binging, using alcohol to medicate our feelings, or really any action that we take, we are placing our faith in something. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller was talking about uh, the illness, the cancer that he has been diagnosed with, and the prognosis is not looking good. And he said he's learned a lot about faith when they tell you you only have a certain amount of years to live. And he said that really all faith is probabilities. You're, you're placing your faith in something based on probabilities. So we're going to talk more about what that looks like here in a little bit, but we all have faith in something. We've all kind of hedged our bets and said, you know what, based on the probabilities that I know, I'm going to put my faith in this or in that. The thing is that even if we haven't sat down and cognitively thought it through, our actions betray us. Our actions show what we really have faith in and what we really believe. Even our anxieties show that we have quite a bit of faith in ourselves and we're worried that we won't come through. This week, we take a look at what faith looks like from the evidence and the testimony of others. And in fact, Hebrews 12 verse 1 calls these folks that we're about to learn from a great cloud of witnesses. A great cloud of witnesses that is witnessing to the faithfulness of God and is then a cloud around us that is witnessing to the faithfulness of God. Hebrews 11:6, where we ended last week's sermon, said that without faith, 
it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Tonight, we're going to try to answer the question, why is that true? And how is that true? Why is faith such a big deal? And why is it so impossible to please God if we don't have faith? Open with me, if you haven't already, to Hebrews 11. We're going to read verses 32 through 38. We're going to jump around here a little bit, but I'll try to make some sense of it for us. Uh, Hebrews 11, 32 through 38. Take a look at a a snapshot here that covers a number of individuals and what faith looked like. Hebrews 11, verse 32. And what more shall we say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. This is speaking of the Old Testament saints, but also the first century saints that were starting to face heavy persecution. The disciples, Jesus, martyrs, imprisoned, beaten for what they believed. How do you have that kind of faith? We're going to take a look at that tonight, but also we're going to take a look at what does faith look like today? Because they were not the only ones to suffer. They were not the only ones to obey in the face of suffering. I ran across this this week by the providence of God. Um, In South Asia, as believers are wanting to come into the church and be baptized through immersion, they're asked a few questions. We ask people questions here. If you've seen a baptism or been baptized here at Grace, we ask three questions when people are baptized. Um, In South Asia, they ask seven questions before folks are baptized. And here are the seven questions that they ask. Are you willing to leave home and lose the blessing of your father in order to follow Christ? Are you willing to lose your job? Are you willing to go to the village and those who persecute you and forgive them and share the love of Christ with them? Are you willing to give an offering to the Lord? Are you willing to be beaten rather than to deny your faith? Are you willing to go to prison? Are you willing to die for Jesus? And if they answer no to any of those questions, they are not baptized. What does that kind of faith look like? How do we have that kind of faith? And folks, if we're honest, not only when we're talking about giving our very lives for Christ, but sometimes in the daily call to obey and honor Christ and walk in purity and wisdom, we lack faith. And it's really difficult to have faith and obey him in things big or small. So how do we have that kind of faith? We're going to take a look at a few things here and a few of these scriptures that show us what it looks like to have that kind of faith. So first, that kind of faith is given by God. It's given by God. It's so important before we start rattling off what all these amazing folks did to have faith and to overcome and to have courage, we need to realize that this kind of faith is given 
by God. So where do we see that in the text? Hebrews 11, verse 7. We read, By faith Noah, being warned by God, considering events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. An heir doesn't earn anything. It's given. We're told he was given. He was an heir of righteousness in faith. In verses 8 through 11, we see that Abraham and Sarah were promised an inheritance. It wasn't based on their ability to procreate. They were promised an inheritance, but they were too old to have children. It was a promised inheritance. It was a land they would be given It would be a land that they would go to. It would be children and offspring that they would be given by God. In Hebrews 11.30, we're reminded of the Old Testament story of the walls of Jericho. And it says that they fell down after they had been encircled by the people who had faith. The walls of Jericho fell down. It doesn't say that God's people were strong enough that they knocked them over. They overwhelmed the walls of Jericho. It says by faith, they fell down. In these verses that we just read, in verses 32 through 35, it says, through faith they conquered kingdoms. It says women received back their dead through resurrection. It's the power of God that is doing these things, but is also giving the faith to these people. What's interesting here is, as we know, as we read through our Old Testament, as we look through church history, it was not just people that stood the test of faith and did follow Christ even unto death. There were many who turned away. In this book of Hebrews even, uh, the author has told us about folks who, when the persecution got tough, they walked away. So some were given this faith to endure and some did not have that faith. They were not able to muster it up on their own. It is a gift of God. I think of a couple of other New Testament places that says that this faith is a gift from God. In Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Our faith, our salvation, the gospel, it's given, it's delivered, it's inherited, it's something that God grants us. I think of Romans chapter 4 when it says, for the promise to Abraham stood. And this is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on the grace that God guaranteed. And not only to Abraham, but those who would come after Abraham. That promise given to Abraham, that salvation, that grace that was guaranteed was a guarantee based on the promises of God and guaranteed to us who have been grafted into Abraham's family. Faith is given by God. So what does this look like in our daily lives? It looks like exactly where we started. We can't muster up the faith that we need. Remember Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 told us that It is the conviction of things unseen. How can we have a conviction about a God we have never seen, about his promises that haven't come true yet, against his promises that are supposed to give us hope in the midst of adversity, of pain, of death, of illness, of hardship, of doubt, of sin? It has to be given by God. 
It's him that gives the faith. It's him that gives the faith to us. us. It's him that gives the faith to others. That's why in the BLESS acronym that I taught through a couple of weeks ago as we talk about gospel mission, as we go through each of the letters in the word BLESS, and we look at how we bless our community, how we do just a lifestyle of sharing the good news, it starts with B, which is begin with prayer. We begin with prayer because we can't have faith without God granting it to us. And other people can't come to faith. They can't place their faith in a God they cannot see without the power of God moving. We have to be a people of prayer. We have to take action, concrete steps to be people of prayer. In our individual lives, in our homes, in our community groups, in this church, we need to take active steps to make sure that we are people of prayer. Because faith is granted by God. At the end of each of these sections, I'm going to give you a diagnostic question that will help you determine where you're at in this process of placing your faith in God. I hope to do that because I hope that this night is not just about head knowledge. Because faith isn't just about head knowledge. Faith is taking action on the promises of God. And that's what we're reading about here, is people taking action, having faith in action because of the promises of God. So I want to end each of these sections with a question. The question for this section that faith is given by God is, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? And the subset question to that is, what does it say about your faith? What are you praying about? What are you praying for? And what does that say about where your faith is? And I'm sure instantly you're going to feel guilty if you're anything like me. But remember, faith is given by God. Faith is given by God. Next, how do we have faith like this? It comes down to what we value. Their values in Hebrews 11, our values. It comes down to what we value. A few examples, starting back one chapter in Hebrews 10, 34, it says, For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. How can you joyfully accept the plundering of your property? Well, it tells us how. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. You had a better possession, so you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. They valued their physical possessions differently because of where their faith was placed. Their faith was in God. Hebrews eleven sixteen, But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. They desire something better. They desire something better than this life, this world, this country, this church. They desire the kingdom of God. It's what they valued the most. Verses 24 through 26, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ 
greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. I'm going to take a quick minute here just to recap Moses' story so we get the impact of this. Moses had it all. Moses was adopted into Pharaoh's family. The most powerful man in the known world adopted Moses into his family. Anything that was Pharaoh's also belonged to Moses. He could have the best education, the best food, the best women, the best anything he wanted. The most power. He could rule. He could reign. He had it all. But what does it say here? He was willing to be mistreated with the people of God. He would rather be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He saw that sin, while pleasurable, is fleeting. He wanted something that would last. He knew that Egypt was not eternal, but the kingdom of God was. He desired a better kingdom, a better country, a better king, a better father. Shows us where, what he valued. In verse 38, it says that all of these folks that went through all of those, these things, it says the world was not worthy of them. Everything they had was taken away. Their very lives and autonomy was taken away. Yet we're told the world was not worthy of them. Because when you see someone have their property plundered or them put in prison or their life taken away, you think, well, they're not worth very much, but not in God's economy. The world was the one that was not worthy of them and their faith. So what does this look like in our everyday life? As I work through my own stuff in my life and as I help with intensive care discipleship for others and as I have kids and as I just pastor more in this world and in this life, I see more and more that so much of our life is a cost-benefit analysis. And I'm not an economics guy. I'm allergic to spreadsheets. But if you start thinking about the basics of a cost-benefit analysis, you see that everything that we do is a cost-benefit analysis. Everything that we do, we do it because we think it is going to pay off. It's going to provide something for us. So let's take a Netflix binge, okay? If you binge on a show or you binge on movies or you binge on whatever on Netflix, when you are doing that, you are doing a cost-benefit analysis and you have decided that sitting there for however long is more beneficial than other things you could be doing with your time. You don't necessarily sit down and cognitively think that through, but we are constantly doing this cost-benefit analysis. So I'm becoming more and more convinced that we are constantly doing this, but I am also becoming convinced that we are terrible at it. We are so bad at it, right? Because when we just keep binging and then Netflix says, are you still watching? And you're like, you're not my boss. <laughs> Thanks, mom. We get to a point where we realize, oh, this didn't give me what I wanted. <laughs> watching a show or a couple shows or watching a movie, that can actually be refreshing. It can be a way of bonding with other people. It can even be educational. But the forever Netflix binge, when it gets to the point where it asks you if you're still watching, you realize 
maybe that wasn't so worth it. Maybe that cost me more than I thought, and maybe the benefits weren't that great. Now, I'm talking about something fairly benign with entertainment, but we do this with sin as well. We do these very quick cost-benefit analysis that we're not really aware of, that we're not consciously thinking through, and due to sin and the fall and our own apathy and our own lack of vision, we make some really bad choices with the cost-benefit analysis. So, what do we value? What we value impacts where we put our faith. If we value comfort more than we should, we will then value money more than we should. And then we will value work and achievement in an unhealthy way. And then pretty soon we are making decisions that are not for the kingdom of God, but are for the kingdom of man. Do you see how what we value is so connected to where we place our faith? If you value material possessions more than anything, you can't trust God with them. So my question for this section is, what do your decisions say about what you believe is valuable? What do your decisions say about what you believe is valuable? Next section. How did they have this kind of faith? It was because of their vision. And we can have this kind of faith based on our vision, where our eyes are focused. Hebrews eleven seven says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Noah built a boat in the middle of the desert. He wasn't looking at the desert. He wasn't looking at rain or no rain. He wasn't looking at the opinion of other people or even people in his own family. He was looking to God. He was looking to God's promises because God could tell him about events yet unseen. Verse 10, it says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Looking to the city whose foundations and builder is God. In verse 13, it says, These all died in their faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. These people were promised, just like you and I are promised, a heavenly kingdom, promised a kingdom come, and they didn't get that full promise. We'll be told why here in just a minute. But they saw them as seeing them from afar. They had their eyes focused on the kingdom of God. And then this section on Moses that we already read at the end of verse 27, it says, By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Why was Moses able to have faith? Why was he able to value the kingdom of God and the reproach of Christ over the fleeting pleasures of sin? Because he looked to God and he saw him even though that God is invisible. He endured as if he could see God himself. In Hebrews 12, verse 2, next week we'll talk about this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our vision, what our eyes are focused on, will determine if we can have faith in God or not. 
when our eyes are focused on the kingdom of man, when eyes are focused on our circumstances, when our eyes are focused on what we are capable of, we lose faith in God. Because the circumstances seem too dire, too overwhelming. We seem powerless. It seems like nothing can change because our eyes are focused in the wrong place. So all of you know by now, the last couple of weeks, uh, the things our family has been through with my son's surgery. And in the middle of it, or now, if I choose to go back through with a pen and write out or tell each of you all the ways that things went wrong or all the things that were difficult or all the things that were challenging, pretty soon I can get pretty jaded, pretty cynical, pretty frustrated, pretty pessimistic about the future, pretty fearful about how little control I have over my own son's well-being. I can get focused on the time stolen away from us or the time that we weren't together as a family or the finances that are involved in it. I can get so focused on the, the negative aspects of it. And you know what? All of those things are real. That's what makes this so challenging because the difficult things are always there. When we look at our lives and we look at the negative, there's always relationships that seem too broken to be fixed. There are always sins that seem too difficult to overcome. There are always things that we need provided for us and we don't know where they're going to come from. There's always things about the future that scare us. There's always things to focus our eyes on that make faith very challenging. However, If I look back at the last two weeks of my family's life and I just start listing off all the ways that God was faithful, miraculous even, I will have a very long list and it will build my faith in the God that I cannot see. But I can see evidence of his providence. I can see evidence of his intervention. I can see evidence of his love even through all of you. Our faith will largely be determined based on where our vision is. So I want to ask you the question, what are your eyes fixed on? What are your eyes fixed on today? Are they fixed on your sin? Are they fixed on a relationship? Are they fixed on comfort, on achievement, on worry, fear, anxiety? What are your eyes fixed on? Unless our eyes are fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, we will not put our faith in the right place. Our faith will be based on our emotions and our circumstances and not based on the truth of who God is and what he can do. Next, how do you have this kind of faith? You look to the reward. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Verses 14 through 16, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 16, they desire a better country. Verse 35, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They were looking to eternity. 
as their property was plundered, as their loved ones were taken away or killed, or as they looked to lose their very lives, they looked forward to the kingdom come. Folks, sometimes we are so comfortable and our lives are so kind of protected and comfortable and safe that when we hear about the kingdom come, we're like, eh. When we are faced with difficulties as these folks are facing or the church in South Asia is facing, or when we're faced with difficulties that break through that safety and that comfort and show us we're not in control, we start looking forward to the kingdom come. Friends, we need to look to that kingdom come no matter how safe or comfortable our lives may seem. Because we are in a spiritual battle where there is an enemy who hates us, who is after us, after our witness. And there are souls every day that are perishing apart from Christ. We look towards the reward. This looks like living for the eternal instead of the temporary. How many of the decisions do we make? Do we make because we're basing them off of what is temporary over things that will change instead of based off of what is eternal? I want to ask us this question to close this section. What does your life show that you believe about time? As you look at your life, what does your life show that you believe about time? As you look at your actions, what does it show you believe about the shortness or the longevity of this life and of the kingdom come? This all leads to obedience. The ultimate showcase of our faith is our obedience. This is right about the time I would show you the slide that I plagiarized from Brooks if I had remembered to put slides up. Because Brooks put together in his outline and his slides for this sermon all the instances of folks who their faith led to obedience. Abel offered, Enoch was taken, Noah constructed, Abraham went, Sarah received power, Abraham offered Isaac, Isaac invoked a blessing, Jacob blessed his grandsons, Joseph gave directions for his burial in Israel, Moses was hidden by his parents, Moses refused privilege, Moses left Egypt, the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, the Israelites marched around Jericho, Rahab hid the spies, not to mention verses 32 through 39. Wow. See? Hope in things unseen. <laughs> and amazing people that know how to find things on the internet. Thank you. Look at all those verbs. Look at all those actions. I'm so good at talking about faith. <laughs> Not so good at obeying. What does it look like to obey? What does it look like to have faith in action? What does James tell us? Faith without works is dead. 
dead. It's not real faith. However, if we have our vision in the right place, if we value the things of God in his kingdom, if we are looking to the reward, if we realize that faith is given by God, and we will obey him in things large and small. The same actions, the difficult actions of giving your very life to Christ, that faith that they had is the same faith that we are granted by God. And we can overcome any addiction. We can overcome any sin. We can overcome any obstacle. We can overcome any hope, seemingly hopeless situation because our faith is in God. And Romans 4 tells us that we serve a God who calls things into existence. He says the word and it happens. He says the word light and there is light. He says the word rise and the dead will rise. If he grants us faith, we can have a faith in God even though he is unseen. We'll close with looking at how they obeyed even unto death. Even unto death. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Another instance that is very similar to this is in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered to the king and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in what you've called us to do. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In both of these instances, these men were willing to obey God even unto death or sacrificing the promised son, the one who was promised that we've been talking about through this whole sermon, the one who the inheritance would come from, the one whom family we would be grafted into, that promised son. Abraham was willing to give him up. These men were willing to go to the fiery furnace instead of bowing down in idolatry. And why? Because they believed in a God who could raise the dead. And they believed that God would either save them or he would bring them in to the kingdom. Their faith in the God that could raise the dead said, even if he doesn't choose to raise the dead, even if he doesn't choose to do a miracle here, he is the same God that I am going to rely on with my very life. That's what we need in decisions big and small pertaining to faith. If we believe 
that Christ rose from the grave, if we believe that God has the power to call things into existence that previously did not exist by the word of his mouth, we can trust him with things big and small. We can trust him today. Hebrews eleven thirty nine through 40, we'll close here. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Here's the punchline. They didn't receive the ultimate promise. You know why? They're all dead. They all died. It was in the Lord's will that they would die. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for who? Us. Us. The us is us. It's the church. They didn't receive the full promise because the full promise is coming to us, the church, the people of God. And someday our prayer will be answered perfectly. Thy kingdom come. Someday his kingdom will come and Christ will come to collect his church and there will be a new heavens and a new earth and everything that was promised to them and everything that has been promised to us will come to pass. If we have prayed that a relative or a child would not die and that person died, they will be raised to life because God always keeps his promises. God has provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. We will be made perfect when they are made perfect, when the kingdom comes. How can we have faith even unto death? Because Jesus obeyed even unto death. And we're told that his resurrection is the first fruits for those who have already fallen asleep. It's the first fruits and the promise of resurrection for us as well. So we can believe Jesus in life and in death. This is what gives us faith. Faith in the one that gave his very life for us and is coming back for us again. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you for what Christ has done for us. Thank you that our faith is not in faith. It's not in our emotions, but it's in what God has done. God, we pray that you would give us faith and you give us faith to trust your word. Give us faith to trust what you say, your promises, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, help us to have faith in things big and small. Help us to be people that have faith in action. Help us to be a church that obeys you. God, I pray that no one would leave here tonight with shame over their lack of faith. God, if that happens, then I've missed something. I've explained something poorly because God, our faith is in you and what you have done. Grant us faith. Grant us grace where we have lacked faith. God, help us to believe in you, believe in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.